Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How would universal mental health care work in Ontario? Find out how we can improve BIPOC entrepreneurship in Hamilton. The city also wants to hear from local youth. The Escarpment Project is back and ready to clean up Hamilton. Canadian racing icon James Hinchcliffe tells us about Formula E. And most people are worried about the way their home smells. Find out more with the Good Morning Hamilton podcast starting now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. If Ontario's new Democrats are elected to power this June, they are promising to bring forward universal mental health care. How would that work? Well, let's ask the person who is delivering it to the people. That is Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Andrea. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Hamilton. How would universal mental health care work in this province? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, COVID showed us, Rick, and and I think COVID showed us many, many uh, things that are broken in Ontario. But one of the things that very, very became very, very clear is how broken our mental health care system is, uh, and people just cannot get access to the services they need. Some ca- in some cases because they simply don't exist where they live. Uh, in other cases, because people have to pull out a credit card and, and don't have the money uh, to afford the uh, the therapies. And so that shouldn't be happening. So what we're saying is you won't have to pull out a credit card to get the health care uh, that, that you need in terms of mental health care. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to get it through your OHIP card. It's the very least we should be doing. We know that mental health pain is just as real as physical pain. Uh, and uh, and we need to uh, provide supports for people. This is a $1.2 billion program. Uh, what kind of reaction have you received from the medical uh, medical community on this? Well, extremely positive. Uh, it's been clear for some time now, for, for, for quite a while. This didn't start with COVID-19. Let's be, let's be clear. Uh, we did a, we did a, a study uh, of all parties back in 2010, and there was a massive report brought forward, uh, and we engaged everybody from uh, from all of the various parts of the mental health care system and the health care system. And the Liberals, they didn't in- implement a single one of the recommendations. And, of course, Doug Ford came along, and he's cutting $2 billion, $2 billion out of mental health care, going in exactly the wrong direction. His cuts are going to make it worse. And so what we're saying is uh, it's been long past due that we address the mental health care needs of Ontarians, so people can get the help when they need it, where they need it. I mean, we have kids, kids waiting 18 months or more to get therapy, to get support. We have uh, young people that are dying by suicide, as you very well know, uh, that uh, that could have had their lives saved had they gotten the supports that they needed when they needed. We have parents that live in fear day in and day out as their kids languish on, on wait lists. Uh, that, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, the PC party pledging uh, $3.8 billion over 10 years to expand existing mental health services. The Green Party promising $6.6 billion over four years on mental health and addiction services. The Liberals haven't released their platform, so we don't know what what uh, is up with them. But we do know that all the parties uh, are focusing on mental health, which is a good thing. I do want to switch gears and talk about uh, another plank in your party's platform that you revealed over the weekend, and that is a $20 minimum wage. Workers would love to see it, but can business businesses afford it, especially after the last couple of years, which have been very difficult? Well, you know what, Rick, I think it's the other thing that's clear is that people are working uh, and sometimes they're working two or three jobs and they just can't pay the bills. Everything's getting more expensive. Uh, life is just completely unaffordable. 
affordable for, pe- for people. And so they, they need to be able to not only have a job, but have a job that pays the bills. And so what we've heard from the business community for some time now as we've developed a strong relationship with business uh, is that they don't want any surprises. They want to know what's coming on the horizon. So what our bill, or what our plan does, actually, what our commitment does, is it's, it's a gradual increase of the minimum wage, starting with a, a dollar an hour up to 16 uh, this fall in October. And then every May for the next number of years, uh, another $1 a, uh, um, an hour increase. And at the end of our term in government, we will have a, a $20 minimum wage. It's, it's the least we can do. It gives the heads up to business. And we've also committed uh, to help, particularly with small business and, you know, mom and pops, uh, those folks that are on the main streets uh, with help in, in transitioning to the $20 minimum wage. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very thoughtful plan. It's one that uh, uh, that's reasonable uh, and one that takes into consideration the need for business to be able to plan. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath, also NDP MPP for Hamilton Centre. The the Ford government recently unveiling a temporary gas tax relief, a license plate sticker announcement. Are these all just election ploys from the PCs? Well, that's certainly what I'm hearing from people. People just, um, you know, shrug their shoulders and say, oh, another election gimmick. Uh, Obviously, the campaign is on. Uh, people deserve better than that. You know, we've had a bill in the legislature for years now. The Liberals refused to implement it. The Conservatives have refused to implement it. He could actually pass it, you know, this week if he wanted to, and that's to regulate uh, gas prices at the pumps, uh, to get the gouging out of our gas pricing in Ontario. Uh, that's a practical solution that would really make a difference for people, and it can be done today. Uh, but uh, but Doug Ford's not interested in that. He's interested in, uh, I guess, stringing people along in the hopes that... Uh, They'll buy a pig and a poke and uh, elect them. Let's not forget, he promised a 12% reduction in electricity rates. And every single year that he's been in office, the rates have gone up. People have paid more. Uh, Andrea, when it comes to the NDP Liberal Partnership at the federal level, do you think it has any impact on what you guys are doing uh, here provincially? Well, you know, I was uh, talking about that a little bit uh, on Sunday, uh, Rick, at our announcement. Uh, The reality is right now in Ontario... Uh, the um, New Democrats, my party, the official opposition in Ontario is just as few as 10 seats away from defeating Doug Ford. Uh, and so folks who might have made those kinds of calculations in the past of, you know, keeping the, the Conservatives out by voting Liberal, things are very different here in Ontario this time. Very, very different. We have a very strong team, 40 experienced MPPs uh, running for re-election and, and just 10 seats would, uh, would unseat Doug Ford. And so uh, we really need to, uh, I think people need to think carefully about what they want. I think this is a, uh, a high-stakes election. The stakes are very high. Uh, what people are saying to me is that they, they want a government that uh, that's prepared to fix what's broken. They fix the things that matter to them. Housing prices are out of control. Uh, people can't make ends meet even though they have decent jobs. Our health care system uh, is on its knees. Education needs, needs some support. Our kids need the kind of uh, education system that gives them a a great start in life. These are the things that we all want uh, to see addressed. And the way to address them is not with more Doug Ford cuts. That's going to make things worse, not better. Uh, so so folks, um, this time around here in Ontario, the best way to get rid of Doug Ford this time uh, is to uh, to vote NDP. Given what you just said, and we all have a minute for this, do you, do you get the sense that, I mean, this is not your first kick at the can, that this could be a make or break election for you? 
Oh, well, I, well, I'm, I'm excited about this election. I'm thrilled about this election. It's, uh, it's one that, um, that we can really make a difference for, for people. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about the amount of experience that I have. Uh, I've, I've been doing this for a while, as, uh, as you identify. What that means is I've listened to people all over this province. I've met with folks from one end of Ontario to the other. I know this province better than any of the other leaders. Uh, and I've got the experience that matters at a time like this, when so much is broken uh, that needs to be fixed. And this is exactly the time for the kind of experience that I bring to the table. Andrea, always appreciate your time. We'll touch base sometime down the road. My pleasure, Rick. Take care. You too. That's Andrea Horvath, Ontario NDP leader. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton's Economic Development Department, along with McMaster University, are looking for volunteers to participate in a study on BIPOC entrepreneurship. Let's chat about this with Michael Moraney. He's a marketing coordinator with the City of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you, Rick? Thanks I'm, for having me on. I'm good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Tell us about this upcoming research study. What's the team trying to find out? Well, for the past several months, the City of Hamilton, along with uh, Redeemer University and McMaster University, have been um, involved in trying to create um, a background study for future BIPOC entrepreneurship programming in Hamilton. So the first phase of the program happened between September and December of 2021 with Redeemer University students trying to quantify how many BIPOC businesses there are in Hamilton and business associations. And then they did best practice studies from across Canada of of, uh, what type of programs we offer to the BIPOC communities uh, in terms of entrepreneurship. Now what happened in January of this year until April of this year, McMaster University students are actually going to take that list of existing businesses Uh, and then talking to others in the community and trying to engage BIPOC entrepreneurs in interviews to get their first-hand accounts of what they need to be successful entrepreneurs in Hamilton. So um, what we're trying to do from the city of Hamilton at the end of this whole process is to come up with a policy or a number of programs that speak specifically to Hamilton's BIPOC community to ensure that our, our economy is as inclusive as possible. So you're still in the information gathering stage, basically. We are, and and that's why uh, we really appreciate the uh, the opportunity today to come on the show and try to get the word out to any BIPOC entrepreneurs and businesses out there that would be interested in speaking with McMaster University students because at the end of the day, the more information we get in, uh, the richer the data set. And the more effective the programming we can uh, we can create for Hamilton businesses. So we're encouraging uh, as many BIPOC entrepreneurs out there as possible listening in uh, to to contact the McMaster University students at bipoc.entrepreneurship at gmail.com. What kind of things are they going to be asked? It's a 30 to 45 minute uh, interview survey. Um, and basically they're trying to ascertain where are the pinch points um, for entrepreneurs in the BIPOC community? So are they receiving the information in time um, of how to start a business? Are they receiving the right mentorship opportunities? Are they receiving the right opportunities to be put in uh, in front of um, customers? Is there any assistance we can give them from a, from a city standpoint uh, and certainly from a community standpoint to help them understand what it takes 
to be an effective entrepreneur. And I think through, through our study so far, we're starting to see, and through our research we did for our Economic Development Action Plan just a, a year ago when we were trying to put together the five-year blueprint for our economy, we, we did interviews uh, with the uh, members of the BIPOC communities, and they were saying to us, we are not aware of the services you're providing. Uh, we don't have those touch points between the, the, uh, the city services and our community. And so what we're trying to understand and, and trying to rectify is we're trying to we're trying to build those bridges between the services we provide and the BIPOC community. So hopefully out of these conversations with these entrepreneurs, we're going to start to create themes of areas of service. And uh, it's our hope that these conversations will lead to better programming. Is there a target for how many volunteers you need to make this study really go? Yeah, I'm not, not going to cap it at this point because, like I said earlier, the, the more people that come to us, the more people that give interviews, the richer the data set. So you really wouldn't want to sacrifice, um, you know, the results by saying this is the arbitrary, you know, stopping point. I think that the whole purpose of this program, right from its inception, was to try to be as inclusive as possible, try to give a voice to as many in the BIPOC communities as possible. So we're, we're happy to, to hear from all of them. Anyone uh, wishing to partake in this study that is being led by Hamilton's Economic Development Department, McMaster University, and a number of other partners can do so by sending an email to bipoc.entrepreneurship at gmail.com. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're in discussion with Mike Marini, the marketing coordinator with the city of Hamilton. How would you describe the state of entrepreneurship in this city for the BIPOC community? Is it is there a lot of untapped potential and opportunity out there? Well, I can tell you that uh, from the first phase of the research study, Rick, um, you know, we identified approximately 250 uh, BIPOC businesses in Hamilton. So I would say that's quite strong. And overall, Hamilton's economy uh, is comprised of approximately 90% small to medium-sized enterprises. So they, they, uh, they have a large uh, role in Hamilton's economy. And I think the concern for us here and the reason for the programming is we want to build that and we want to ensure that, you know, they have uh, the same access to services. Uh, they have the, the same awareness that these services exist that we offer through our, our Hamilton Business Center. Um, and so once you become more inclusive in your economy, uh, you can see that everyone can succeed and everyone can participate and everyone can contribute and I think that's that's the most important thing for us is, is to give a voice and to give opportunity to the BIPOC communities who, uh, through our own research right now, uh, who are underserved because we don't offer specific BIPOC services. So we're hoping to rectify that as quickly as possible. We only have about 60 seconds to discuss this, but once this study portion is done, uh, what happens after that? Is there some recommendations, some findings? Is there a final report? And when do we hope to start you know, turning the wheels on this thing? So there will be a, a final report presented to the public. Um, the McMaster portion of the study will finish in uh, at the end of this month, and then we will go back and uh, go through the uh, the research, start to make some recommendations, and then in the coming months we will be presenting a final report to the public. And uh, and I'm I'm hoping that as part of that final report, the avenues for uh, for further um, policy and, and funding for these programs. Well, sounds uh, exciting. We'll certainly touch base when that time rolls around. Mike, appreciate your time this morning. 
Thank you very much. That's Michael Marini, Marketing Coordinator at the City of Hamilton. Again, any BIPOC entrepreneur who's willing to get involved in this study, you can email BIPOC.entrepreneurship at gmail.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The City of Hamilton launching its first youth strategy, and uh, the five-year plan is going to address how the city is going to engage with youth and the issues they face on a day-to-day basis. Here to chat about it is Jessica Chase, Director of Children's Services and Neighborhood Development with the City of Hamilton. Good morning, Jessica. How are you? Good morning. I'm, I'm doing well this morning. What is the goal of this youth initiative? Uh, the goal of the youth initiative is to really engage with youth um, and hear from them and work collaboratively alongside them uh, to address the issues that are most important to them and the priorities that they've identified. All right. So what are some of those issues? Yeah, so we've, over the last few years, we've engaged um, and heard directly from youth, from parents, and from a number of community partners that work with youth, Um, and they've identified five different priority goal areas. Um, Those are improving access to mental health and addiction supports, uh, improving how they can access employment and training opportunities, um, accessing safe and affordable housing, uh, looking at how they can We can enhance safety and a sense of inclusion for youth and also looking at enhancing youth engagement and leadership opportunities. So on those five priority areas, if we can call them that, what are you hearing? There's there's just not enough of, uh, you know, employment and training um, uh, supports out there for youth? Um, That's a great question. And I, I I think part of it is, you know, about having opportunities and access to those things and and having enough of those opportunities, but also knowing where they can go to get information and, um, and, you know, having a clear pathway, for instance, to know where to go to access employment and training opportunities or mental health and addiction supports. Um, I think the other thing I would say is that these are the high level priorities that we've identified. Some of the things that we need to continue to hear from youth are what are some of the barriers that they're experiencing? So we want to continue to have conversations with with youth and with parents and community partners to start to identify a more detail what some of the barriers are that they're experiencing accessing these things. How uh, engaged are the youth of this community in offering some of their thoughts and do they think that it's going to amount to something substantive going down the road? Yeah, we're very fortunate. We have an incredibly engaged uh, youth steering committee, and they have been instrumental in leading this process um, throughout and getting us to this point, um, and also are going to be instrumental in in paving the way forward. So we have um, approximately 25 members that currently sit on that youth steering committee. Uh, They're incredibly engaged. We've heard from over 600 youth and and parents um, through surveys and focus groups to help uh, get us to this point, um, but are certainly always looking for more youth. Uh, to be involved and to make sure that their voices are being heard as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jessica Chase, Director of Children's Services and Neighborhood Development with the City of Hamilton. We're chatting about a new uh, youth initiative within the city where uh, officials are asking those between the ages of 14 and 29 to uh, talk about their priority items. And some of those that have been identified include safe and affordable housing, uh, youth engagement and leadership, mental health and addiction supports. How can youth get involved and add their voice to this conversation? 
Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways that that youth can get involved. As I said, we have a youth steering committee. We are always looking for more youth to be involved. Um, And certainly as we start to flush out these priority areas and look at very specific actions, I think we're going to look for youth to be involved in the specific goal areas. Um, So certainly I would encourage youth to visit uh, hamilton.ca slash youth for more information on how they can get involved with the youth steering committee. Uh, We also have an Instagram channel um, at hamontyouth, so that's H-A-M ont youth um, on instagram and that's another way to to follow along with many of the youth initiatives that are happening across the city and how they can get involved and have their voices heard is this going to be a continual process or is there an end date where you know a report will be compiled and then presented to city council to say hey we should do this yeah, so the five, it's a five-year plan um, with a commitment that we're going to be reporting back to council and to the community on an annual basis. Um, but really, this is a continual process. So we want to continue to hear from you throughout the process. And if the priorities shift, um, then we will shift with those. Um, so certainly, we, while it is a five-year plan and an annual commitment, it is a continual process of hearing from youth across the community. And as part of this process, Jessica, the goal of making Hamilton a more youth friendly community and and are we there yet yeah absolutely the goal is um about making hamilton um, a place um, that addresses the the priorities of youth that is youth friendly where youth feel like their voices are heard um, and are feeling like they have access to the services um, that they need. So there are lots and lots of great youth uh, programs and services that are already happening across the city, um, some, some within the city, but also a number of our many community partners that serve youth. Uh, but certainly we also recognize that we have work to do to continue to address these priorities moving forward. Uh, I, I'm imagining some of the youth, especially those that sit on this steering committee, being the leaders of tomorrow. Are, are you kind of getting the same hunch about some of the individuals on this committee? Absolutely. And we've already seen um, youth that that are already taking on leadership opportunities um, that have been involved with the steering committee in their community, in their schools, um, you know, in their their employment opportunities. Um, And we're seeing them get involved at at council, for instance. We had uh, one of our youth steering committees that when the strategy was brought forward last week, uh, presented with us. So we are certainly seeing uh, the youth wanting to get involved and and certainly looking for leadership opportunities. Jessica, great chat this morning. Thanks for joining us and good luck uh, the rest of the way here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hopefully on Saturday, April the 23rd, the weather will participate because that's a that's a big day for my next guest. He's the founder of the Escarpment Project, which is getting ready for its annual citywide cleanup initiative. Greg Lenko is the founder of the Escarpment Project and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm awesome. I can't believe this is the 10th year of the Escarpment Project Initiative. You can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) Seriously, like 10 years ago, I had no idea it was going to turn into a citywide thing, let alone 10 years of it. Uh, How did this all start? Short story is I went to the Devil's Punch Bowl one day and looked at it. It looked like a landfill site. And I thought, someone's got to do something about this. And so I thought, you know what, I may as well try. And I put together this video, put it on YouTube. And uh, the video just basically said, here, look at Devil's Punch Bowl. Let's clean it up. If you want, email me and we'll clean it up. And next thing I know, I've got 75 people and uh, we cleaned it up. And now you're cleaning up more than just the Devil's Punch Bowl. Oh, actually this year, we're not even doing the Devil's Punch Bowl. It's so clean. Wow. 
but yeah, we have about, uh, I think 12 sites this year. And so and, where are they? Uh, well, it starts off. We have one in Dundas at uh, rock chapel. There's a waterfall near there. Uh, and then we come and, and there's a team leader at each location. So we don't just walk across the escarpment. There's a team leader at each location. So there's Rock Chapel in, uh, in Dundas. We're actually doing Albion Falls. The city's giving us uh, permission to go down there, a few of us. Uh, there's Shadok, the stairs, and the rail trail. Same with Kenilworth and Wentworth stairs. Um, there's a side trail in uh, at Sam Lawrence Park. We're doing a 40-mile creek in Grimsby. Um, I'm just trying to think. Billy Green Falls. And uh, there's another place along the Shadok radial trail called sanatorium falls which is actually a separate location we're doing this year so there's just there's just a ton of them so if there's someone who's interested in uh you know having an idea of this is a great way to give back to the community we can clean up our city how do they get involved uh, they just go to the website and sign up and then on the day of the cleanup uh show up to the site all right and that website is escarpmentproject.ca how many people do you usually get it varies um our biggest year was just over 800 uh, this year, we've got just over 300 already signed up. Wow, that's pretty cool. Greg Lenko is our guest. He's the founder of the Escarpment Project, a group that has cleaned up various areas of our city for the past 10 years now. The event goes Saturday, April 23rd, 10 in the morning to noon. There's also a volunteer appreciation a barbecue. Lots of info online, escarpmentproject.ca. I was driving home from work the other day. This was probably uh, sometime last week. And uh-huh. noticed a bunch of kids who go to Westdale High School, and they visit the mall just down at uh, uh, Main and Dundurn, and they're walking on the way back. I'm driving the other way, and I see one of the kids just toss some litter over the guardrail and into, yeah. you know, where the highway is. Yeah, and, it's very and, common. And, and I'm thinking, you know, why? Like, you're, you're meters away from your school, and, uh, you know, there's millions of garbage cans in there. What's the mentality around littering? I've never understood that. It's... They just, well, basically people don't want to carry stuff with them. Like, you know, you have a, a, a cup of coffee or water and you can carry it in. They just don't want to carry it out. And so what they do is they toss it and usually right off the trail where apparently nobody sees it, you know. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, really bizarre. But the same with those dog bags, you know, you take your dog for a walk, you, you scoop up after them. People think that, okay, I've scooped it and they don't wait and throw it in the garbage, which is very close probably. They just toss it where they think no one will see it. Wow. Um, I was driving down the Queen Street Hill the other day, and I couldn't count how many coffee cups I saw on the side of the road. I mean, it's just, oh. it's unbelievable. Yeah, coffee cups are probably what we find most of, and then water bottles. Uh, there are so many. And it's funny because people will blame, uh, and I will say because just because Tim Hortons is so prevalent, everybody drinks a lot of, so many people drink Tim Hortons coffee. People will blame Tim Hortons or the blame the water company for, you know, for the water bottle, but it's the, it's people who throw it, not the companies. And so it's, it's nice to see that actually Tim Hortons is a sponsor this year. And they're saying, Hey, listen, we understand that there's an issue and you know, it's our name on, on a lot of the cups. So we're going to help and they're going to pitch in. And so that's what they've done. And it was just really fantastic. They've done it for a few years now. That's pretty cool. The Escarpment Project celebrating its uh, 10th year of the Citywide Cleanup Initiative. It uh, happens this year on April the 23rd. That's a Saturday from 10 in the morning to noon. And uh, also followed by a volunteer appreciation barbecue. Escarpmentproject.ca is the website you can go to to register and make a difference in the community. You you talked about some of the more common items you find, water bottles, coffee cups. What's the weirdest things you have found? 
Some are, un- I, I don't think I should even mention them, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. People do the weirdest things in the escarpments. Um, I have a gun. It really? doesn't work. Uh, it's like a single barrel shotgun. It's so rusted and dilapidated. But I did take it to the police and they said, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, because, you know, they, they have this initiative where you bring guns in if you have them. And uh, so I have that. And I actually have a museum at home with some stuff in it. I have a bowling ball, which was really bizarre. But I remember there was a there was a bowling alley somewhere along near the Wentworth stairs. When you come up the access, it's changed into condos now. But, yeah, it used to be a bowling alley. Uh, a lot of kids toys. When I first did the Devil's Punch Bowl, I think I was really shocked to see a washing machine and an air conditioner. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's unreal. Uh, I also saw, uh, what did we pick up? We picked up something from a mall. That, uh, it, was a, it was a food tray. You know, you get them at the mall. It was from somewhere in Miami. I forget the name of it, but it was from Miami, Florida. I remember seeing that. Oh, my gosh. Well, a number of teams are also taking part in the event. If you have a workplace team that wants to participate in the Escarpment Project citywide cleanup, you can go online to escarpmentproject.ca. Greg, appreciate the time. Good luck with the event, and we'll certainly touch base down the road. For sure. Thanks. That's Greg Lenko. He's the founder of the Escarpment Project. Online, escarpmentproject.ca. It is a wonderful annual event that is uh, back again uh, Saturday, April 23rd, 10 in the morning until noon. And there's a, a barbecue later on for all the volunteers who take part. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A Canadian racing legend has joined the burgeoning Formula E series as an ambassador for the Canadian E-Prix in Vancouver. You know the name, James Hinchcliffe, Canadian race car icon, now the ambassador for this race that's coming to Vancouver for the first time ever. James, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm excited to hear more about the Canadian E-Prix that comes to Vancouver on the Canada Day long weekend. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, like you say, it's going to be uh, Canada Day weekend out in Vancouver, and it's it's really, really exciting because the the weekend really is a weekend. It's not just one race. It's not just one event. It really is a, a combination of things there, you know, there's a business conference that's that's kicking the whole thing off, which is really just focused on, you know, sustainability and, and getting companies to be a little more eco-conscious. There's going to be um, several pretty big concerts throughout the weekend. Nickelback's playing at one of them. Um, there's going to be a celebrity race on the Friday. So we have these uh, Canadian-designed little single-seater, three-wheeled electric cars. We've got, you know, a dozen Canadian celebrities that are coming out and are going to do battle on the racetrack. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the the FIA Formula E uh, World Championship race itself on, on Saturday the 2nd. So there's a lot of different things going on over the course of the weekend, something for the whole family, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, now, you know, some of our listeners might know I'm a huge Formula One fan. They, they've probably heard of F1. They've most certainly heard of IndyCar and NASCAR, but they're, they might not be familiar with Formula E. I've watched a couple of their races. It's very exciting. Tell us how Formula E works. Right. So very similar in, in general concept to a Formula One car or an Indy car. You know, Formula E, they run single seater open wheel cars. But the big difference is it's the only single seater series on earth that uses all electric cars. Um, the series is really based about sustainability. The whole concept was to counteract climate change, you know, give auto manufacturers a very cool testing 
platform to develop road car relevant EV technologies. And so these drivers have to conserve their battery power like a, a normal race car driver would have to preserve fuel. Um, and there's 22 drivers from all over the world that uh, that do battle every race. And, uh, and because they are electric motors, they don't sound like a normal race car. And because of that, there's a lot fewer restrictions on where they can race. A lot of the time, races are, are sort of confined by noise restrictions. Well, you don't have that with an electric car. So for better or worse, you know, there's, there's not the sound of a traditional motor, but that allows these races to all be held right downtown in city centers, you know, and that really is about bringing the race to the people. So it's, it's about sustainability. It's trying to send a good message at the same time putting on you know a nice entertaining race for uh, for race fans all over the world yeah it's pretty cool you might not have the same noise but you certainly have a very similar speed yes i mean they are capable of you know almost 300 kilometers an hour and as everybody knows if, if you know a little bit about electric vehicles the acceleration is incredible so you know even though it doesn't have the noise the performance is certainly there uh you know it's it's cool because the driver has a, a, an entirely different job or an extra job in the sense that they get to control how much the car regenerates its battery over a lap. And then, you know, that that's a kind of an extra bit of strategy from the driver's perspective. I can kind of separate drivers. That's something that you don't see in other forms of motorsports, even in F1, where they've got, you know, a hybrid where there is an element of an electric motor, but uh, no, it's, it's the performance is, is certainly there. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, James Hinchcliffe, Canadian race car icon and an ambassador for the Canadian E-Prix in Vancouver. You can find out a bunch more information at FIAFormulae.com. Race weekend is June 30th to July 2nd, Canada Day weekend in Vancouver. You've traded in your race car for a microphone these days. Uh, you're, you're an IndyCar series analyst with NBC Sports. How's the transition been? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. It's... Uh, you know, after 11 years in IndyCar, it was kind of time to step back from from full-time competition in that series, at least. And, you know, I've still got some driving left in me. There's going to be some other things that we'll be, uh, we'll be wheeling at some point. But to to join NBC and be part of the IndyCar broadcast has been a lot of fun. You know, I, I've always sort of toyed with the idea of wanting to get into the broadcast booth post-driving. And uh, the, the timing really just was perfect. You know, NBC had just done a new deal with IndyCar for the next three seasons. And um, I was kind of at that point contemplating anyway, they approached me and it was sort of uh, it was sort of a no brainer at that point. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. So you're not retired just yet from racing. Exactly. Yes. I'm, I guess just full-time IndyCar competition is, is all I'm, all I'm willing to scratch off the list for now, but uh, that, that opens the door still for maybe some IndyCar one-offs and, and certainly some racing in some other series. Well, we're certainly looking forward to seeing the mayor of Hingetown back on a racing circuit sometime soon. James, appreciate the time. Uh, good luck with uh, the rest of the season with IndyCar, and we'll look forward to seeing you in Vancouver this summer. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on. That's James Hinchcliffe, Canadian race car legend, also an ambassador for the Canadian E-Prix in Vancouver. That should be a fun, fun time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're talking about smells because the new survey says seven in 10 people are worried about the way their home smells, especially when they have company over. The Sensi survey conducted by one poll shows three in four respondents say the way a person's home smells can leave a long lasting impression. Susan Clarkin is a certified ultimate stager at Polkadot Home Staging and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. As the saying goes, if a home smells, it won't sell, right? 
Exactly. That's exactly right. So respondents to this survey say they want to be greeted with something sweet or floral, maybe even savory when visiting someone else's home. What are the best smells people want to smell when they step into a home? Well, I'll tell you what they don't want to smell is your food, your animal, and those kinds of smells, like strong smells, right? We're, we're in a time frame now where everyone is very... Um, uh, you know, you can't wear perfume, you can't do this, you can't do that where you go places. So it's like neutral is a great, great smell. So when I you're always, when you're staging a home, you're you're saying, hey, listen, if you can avoid any kind of smell, that's the way to go. Absolutely. You know what? When you're thinking about selling and, and if you do have a, let's say a pet, you want to eliminate that. You want to, you know, even pet owners don't want to buy a house where maybe there was a pet. So it's best to eliminate that. Uh, food orders, you know what, when your house is for sale, don't cook. Don't be cooking anything too crazy that's going to, the smell's going to linger. And I always say, just air the place out. Air it out prior to, you know, eliminate anything. And I think the other, that one of the most important things when you sell is clean. So clean is uh, like physical, your floors, your walls, your windows, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also the smell, right? So the two kind of go hand in hand. So like a fresh scent would be the optimal kind of, I guess, scent, for lack of a better term. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. What about stuff like baking a cake or some bread or cookies to have that kind of, you know, hey, you can live here too and make this kind of stuff smell? You know what? That was a, that was a trend and still isn't even a bad one, but I don't believe a lot of people do that these days. I used to be bake some cookies before an open house, right? Yeah, and leave them uh, on the counter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Susan Clarkin is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Susan is a certified ultimate stager with Polka Dot Home Staging. This uh, this topic, you know, the smell of a home has to be more important than ever before for people who are working from home or for those who are looking at a home that has maybe a den or an office where they can work from home. Oh, that's really important. So when it comes to staging a home that is for sale, how much attention is paid to the smell. Do homeowners, do home sellers even, are they even thinking about this? Well, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I don't hear a lot about it, but I always address it. So uh, part of what we do is we come in the home prior to it being listed, right? And we talk about what to do, what you can do, what you need to do before you list. And those are, um, those are issues that we discuss. Because as I said, I mean, it's, uh, clean is important and clean is one of the most important things, and that includes smell, right? It's all the same thing. Absolutely. The two go hand in hand. Susan, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck staging your next home. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. That's Susan Clarkin, Certified Ultimate Stager with Polka Dot Home Staging. More on this survey by Sensi, conducted by one poll, which again shows that three in four respondents say the way a person's home smells can leave a long-lasting impression. And of course it does. If you're going to a friend's house, a family member's house, and you walk in the door and it's like, oh, what's that? You're probably not going to stay for a long time. You know, I got to go do something. I'll I'll see you another time. You're probably not going to go back or at least dread the thought of going back. But the average respondent, according to this poll, spends $221 a year on items to improve their home's aroma. Think about all the things that you have purchased over the last little while to improve 
the smell in your home, especially if you're working from home. You want to have that, you know, nice smell. So whether it's liquid potpourri, cookie dough scents, pine cones, even a dill pickled scented air freshener was one of the responses. Things to to spruce up, to heighten that that's awareness in the home that, uh, you know, it's a clean and good smelling space. The worst smells, according to this poll, and not too surprising, although one is kind of smoke, 58%. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Pets at 51%. Yeah, I can I can attribute to that. And sink water, 57%. I guess if there's an odor of sink water, that's not a good smell. All right, good tip. Uh, people also concerned about how clean their homes are. That's 45%, which I thought is kind of low. I don't care if my home is dirty. Well, company's coming. We better clean the place. Uh, Respondents also say their home scent makes them feel relaxed, happy, and even energetic. And nine in 10 people, according to the survey, who occasionally work from home feel their workspace is more enjoyable if their house smells good. Well, of course it should be. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.